welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay, friends, if you have your Bibles, I would love to invite you to open them to the book of Luke as the house lights come up. Hadley is on lights today. Way to go, Hadley. Yep. Just goes to show you, friends, anybody can serve. Just want to talk about uh, how you'd like to get involved at Awaken. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so we're in a series called Eat This Book, if you're new. And uh, we've been, we're making a big jump here today. We're going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We're spanning about 450 years. So you're going to be here till three. Don't worry. It's going to be good. Um, but in all seriousness, um, a huge, huge part of the story happens in, in what we, we're going to um, discuss today. And uh, um, so just by way of review, if you haven't been with us, we've kind of walked through the narrative of the scriptures, right? Creation to the people of Israel, Abraham, Father Abraham, many sons, I am one of them, Genesis 12. Uh, the people find themselves in Egypt, in exile. God sends Moses, brings them out of Egypt, out of, uh, you know, the Exodus, the prince of Egypt, and into the land uh, that God has for them. At which point, uh, we find this group of people called the Judges. There's a book about them. God sends this 12, 13 people to Israel to remind them, this is who you are, this is what it's about, this is who the, what the covenant is about. Uh, and then from there, uh, kings and kingdoms, uh, Israel becomes a kingdom, splits into two, and we find a group of people called the prophets, which is where we've spent the last few uh, months. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. Uh, and the prophets remind the people of Israel, this is what it means to be in covenant relationship with God. And, um, and encourage them, listen, gang, repent. Like you're, the, the, the way that you're headed, is, it leads to death. So turn around and go the other way. And in fact, uh, we find the people of God in exile again at the end of the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament for a thousand Torah points is Malachi. Thank you very much. Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. So from Malachi to the Gospels, we have this, what is called the 400 years of silence. And it's out of this 400 years of silence that a voice rises out of the wilderness, out of this desert kind of experience for the people of God. If you've been with us, this, this idea of the desert, the root word in Hebrew is to speak. Often when people of, in, in the scriptures go to the desert, God speaks. And this is exactly where the voice of God comes in the form of a baby, which is the irony and beauty of Christmas, is it not? So here's what I want to do today. Um, we're we're going to look at the, the angel who comes to Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, of course. And this happens in two Gospels, Matthew and Luke. I want to look at Luke's Gospel. And what I want to do is ask a, a very specific question this morning, and it's this. What is Luke trying to tell us, or what is Luke doing, by ordering the material the way that Luke does? Uh, and from there, I want to invite us into an exercise of trying to enter the story, really. Uh, and then we'll close with kind of wrestling with Luke's implications. What Luke is saying by saying what he says in his gospel is, I mean, it's a game changer. It's earth shattering. Uh, and I want to really wrestle with that or, or at least offer the space to do that. And then, you know, because we're, we're talking about 400 years of silence, we'd like to invite you to a time of silence. Uh, culturally, we don't do this very often, so it sometimes is difficult. We don't make space for it a lot of times, but uh, we, we find that it's, uh, this bears fruit. Uh, it always bears fruit, and so we want to do that together. Does that sound good? Okay, um, let me offer a brief word of prayer, and then let's jump in. Jesus, um, here we are, and here you are. Um, man, theologically, that's huge. Uh, we're, we want to be present to the fact that you are here that your spirit is alive and at work in the world and that uh, 
you want what you have something in your heart for us uh, that is concerned with love and grace and welcome and uh, forgiveness. And so we want to be present to that. Give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear you. We pray. Amen. Um, so, uh, from Luke's perspective, the way that Luke tells the story, I want to begin by saying, I think that what Luke is essentially trying to tell us is that God is up to something. If Luke were, uh, if Luke lived in the 60s, I think that his soundtrack might sound something like this. I think it's time we stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's golden down. been working on that delivery all week. How, how was it? Was it good? Did, did I rush it? Did I rush it? Okay. No, but seriously, if Luke lived in the 60s, it would be like, listen, stop, look at what's happening around, like, pay attention, because what's what's about to go down is like, bing, big, it's really, really big. So, good old-fashioned Bible study here, if I may, for just a moment. Uh, We're going to look at two two stories in the book of Luke, and what I want you to do, I want you to listen. Like, uh, so, do you remember White Men Can't Jump? Do you remember that movie? There's this part where he's like, you know, you, you can listen to Jimi Hendrix, but you can't hear Jimi Hendrix, right? I want you to, like, hear what's being said here. Not just hear the words that I'm saying, but I want you to actually pay attention and really, really focus in. Two stories, Elizabeth and Mary, all right? And I'd like you to listen for what, what do you, what, what's going on. What's Luke trying to say? What's he setting up here, all right? So, fair warning, Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 8 says this, Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as the priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then, verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy, a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous." to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. You get what he's saying there? Okay. Refraining. Refraining. (laughs) Then angel... (laughs) Something about a Viagra commercial. That's all I had in my head. Okay. Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Moral of the story, don't mess with the angels. Uh, Verse 26. So this is the second story in Luke's gospel that that he opens the whole story with, right? He says this, in the sixth month, verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. An angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will be called the Son of God. Uh, Looking forward to working that one through with my kids, right? Uh, Okay, two stories. What do you uh, what what do you what do you find to be similar? What are the th- the two what are the themes or what are the similarities in the two stories? Just go ahead and shout it out. This is interactive here. Don't leave me hanging. What's in both stories? A vir- okay or, or an improbable pregnancy, right? Virgin in one, old in the other. Okay, both are afraid. Yep. What else? Yes, an angel comes and says, "Like, hey, it's going to be okay. Don't be afraid." What else? Yes, right? So you're going to have a baby, and here's what you should name him. Um, so here's what, I, here's what I'm trying to point out here, okay? Luke, in form, right? L- listen, the Gospels, I grew up in a tradition, and, and the, the view of the Scripture that was often uh, reinfor- reinforced for me was this two-dimensional kind of black and white, it's the Word of God, okay? And what was missed, in my opinion, was the fact that Luke was a human being, Matthew, was a, he was a guy. Uh, the people that wrote the scriptures, they were people. And they had idiosyncrasies. They, I would suggest that the writers of the scripture were master storytellers. They tell the story in a particular way, right? So you hold up the four gospels and you put them next to each other. And some people argue, this is a case against the historicity of Christianity and of Jesus. The four gospel writers can't even get it right. I would submit to you that they have freedom and license and there's this beautiful dance between a human and the Spirit of God and they write for different reasons. They write for different purposes. Mark has certain things that he does that that Luke doesn't do. Matthew writes to Jews and so he begins the gospel with a whole narrative about the lineage of Abraham to Jesus. Why? Because that's important for a Jewish audience. Point being, Luke could start any way he wants. And what he does is he takes these two stories and he puts them right up next to each other. In form, they're like the exact same story. An angel appears. The person who sees the angel is afraid. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You're going to be pregnant. You will name your son this. He will be this. In form, it's the exact same story. Now, in function, Luke does something very interesting. He differentiates quite uh, uh, clearly between John and Jesus, right? He says about John, John will be great, right? John will be great, but Jesus will be the most high God. Uh, John will be filled with the Spirit. Jesus will be on the throne of David. John will, be, uh, will, will bring many people back to Israel. Jesus will reign over Israel. John will prepare the way for God. Jesus will bring the kingdom of God, and it will have no end. Do you see what he's done there? He says John's important, but Jesus is qualitatively different and qualitatively more important than John. So while the two stories are connected, like, hey, listen up, right? There's a difference. And, and Luke does that. I think he does it absolutely purposefully. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Why? Why would Luke do that? He could start with any number of things, right? Matthew starts with the lineage. John starts differently. John starts with, you know, in the beginning was the word. The word or no, he starts with the word of God dwelt among us. It, it was the logos, Right? Why does he start with this? 
Maybe, maybe I could ask the question in a different way. Is there any precedence in the story thus far that we have read from creation to Malachi where you see a similar situation? Are there any other stories of impossible pregnancies and improbable women where God has to be at work? Not a trick question. The answer is yes, there are lots of them. Okay? Abraham, right? Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarai. I'm going to make a nation out of you. Old. Like, well beyond that point in time where one might think having kids is a possibility. Uh, and yet, and listen, the word of God, God's promise to Israel to restore and redeem all of creation is like on the line with this. Because if this doesn't happen, like, we've got a problem. Hello, Joe, got a problem, right? Uh, Houston, we've got a problem. If it doesn't happen with, with Abraham and Sarah, big, big deal, right? Think um, Rebecca, Genesis 25, Rebecca and Isaac. Uh, same deal. Baron can't have kids. It's got it, the line has to go through these people. Uh, think of Jacob and Rachel, Genesis chapter thirty. Think Hannah and Samuel, First Samuel one. Think Samson. Same storyline. Impossible pregnancy. Improbable woman or, or 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 subject. Right. Improbable person. And God has to be at work in order for this thing to go down. To say that we have a motif that the scriptures are working with would be a massive understatement, okay? And this happens throughout the story, I would submit to you, that there are these motifs or storylines that the authors will pick up on, right? The Exodus is one of them. Think about, if you read the Gospels through the lens of the Exodus, you find all kinds of references to Moses and the Red Sea and all these different things. To say that this is a motif that the Gospel writer Luke is working with, I think we're on very solid ground. And what is Luke saying here? Stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody, do you see what's going down here? God is at work. And it's big. It's huge. Lights are blinking, flashing. Yahweh is up to something. And think, just think about where these people are. Okay, so let me shift gears here. I, I want to I engage you in an, in a, in a imagine, an imaginative experience. I, I don't want you to try to enter the story. I'd, I'd like you to try to walk a mile in these shoes. And by the way, I would suggest that the ability to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes is as important as knowing the scriptures in how we're formed spiritually. The ability to see it from somebody else's perspective. The ability to actually walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. This, it, this takes great maturity. I want to invite you to try to do that with me. Last week, Seth left off with the book of Esther, Okay. Esther is in the exilic period. This is a book written while the people of God are in exile. So the prophets of Yahweh are still speaking to the people, even while they're in exile, even while they have disobeyed, and God has said, don't do that, don't go that way, turn around, and they didn't, and he's they've, they've been deported to another land. Even there, God is speaking. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Esther, Daniel, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, all books written during this period of time, and then all of a sudden, Nothing. That was like 10 seconds. 400 years. The people of God hear nothing from Yahweh. 400 years. 
You are the people of God. Remember what the prophets have said. Isaiah 33, or 35, Isaiah 55. This grand vision of a new possibility, a new future, this thing that God promises that God will do. Think Jeremiah, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. 33, I will give you a new covenant, a new heart I will write this covenant on. Think Zechariah, the dry bones, right? God will breathe this life, this breath into these dry bones. I will give you, I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. These are the promises to the people of God and yet, sometimes it's really hard to translate biblical stories to our lives now. Right? Like this is thousands of years ago. Certainly none of us have ever felt like God is silent. Certainly none of us have asked a question and all we hear is the echoing of our own voice inside of our heads. Certainly none of us have ever felt like, God, you, you promised this and yet I feel this. I want to maybe give you permission, freedom, uh, let you know that this is part of who we want to be as a community, right? These are things that we say, whoa, they switched it. Uh, <laughs> throwing everybody off a little bit. These are things that we say we value, right? Authenticity, transformation. I want to just say, those questions, those like pounding the table, uh, if we know anything from the Psalms and the Prophets, God is not intimidated by your honesty, by your screaming, by your pounding the table, by your, you have, by your desperation. And so, bring it, welcome, don't run away. When the light is shining, our first move is back up. I want to encourage you to just stand in it and let it, let it change you. Because if we know anything about this story, when people are here in the desert, God speaks. And that's a faith move. I get it. That if you're going to trust this, if you're going to believe that this is somehow true for you, for the human experience, then what you can know from this is that this is where God speaks. It's out of this silence and out of this tension that the voice of God is heard, that the gospels come on the scene, that ultimately Jesus speaks, that God speaks through the crying of a baby. And for Luke, what he's saying is nothing short of earth-shattering the implications of what Luke and the Gospels are saying are game changers. And I'd like to just at least try to create a space where we can, with honesty and with uh, intellectual honesty and authenticity of our heart, where we can wrestle with the gravity of what Luke is saying and doing here. I mean, listen. Oh, okay, just like pause, time out for a second. Back up out of church land for mo- just a moment and imagine that you don't believe what you believe if you believe in Jesus and you're kind of looking in on who we are and what the church is doing, right? So on a Sunday morning, all kinds of people gather and they affirm the possibility that some guy died and resurrected from the dead. 
I mean, that's crazy. People have been sent to loony bins for far less than that. Okay, so th this is big. And if this is true, if Jesus, is, if Jesus was real and what happened happened, and I'm going to wrestle with this a little bit more on Easter, gang, I want to just be honest about the fact that that's a leap. Here's what Luke is, in my estimation, here are a couple of the things that Luke is saying by, saying what he's, by doing what he's doing in his gospel. Number one, that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. And I know that that, uh, I know that, that it, for some is like, ah, really? Luke is saying that the suffering servant of Isaiah, 43, 53, 61, whatever the other one is, there's four chapters in Isaiah that talk about this suffering servant that is an individual who will, on behalf of Israel and the world, God would redeem. That Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. That's what Luke is essentially, that's what he's offering. That's what he's saying. That he is God incarnate. That in Jesus, God is manifest. I mean, this is crazy. Jesus himself, when his disciples come to him and say, we want to see God, we want to know what God looks like, and Jesus says, listen, if you want to see the Father, then all you need to do, it's me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, what Luke is saying and the gospel writers are saying is you need to look no further than the, the self-sacrificial love, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Who is God? What is God? What, what does God look like? It's Jesus. That's what Luke's saying. That the kingdom of God, the hopes and dreams of God for creation are happening and made manifest in Jesus the Christ. When Jesus comes on the scene and shows up, this is how the world was supposed to work. The redefinition of God's people. If in the Old Testament, to be a part of God's people meant you were connected in lineage, right, to Abraham, Father Abraham, I had many sons, I am one, to be God's people meant that you're connected to this family and you had the sign of circumcision. This was what it meant to be God's people in the Old Testament. What Luke is offering is a totally radical redefinition of God's people in and through Jesus. If I were you know, a teeny bopper, I'd say it's Jesus-centric. It's, it's in and through Jesus that God's people is now redefined. And maybe the biggest salvation and the forgiveness of sin for humanity and for the world is being offered in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Uh, Luke is tipping his hand here, right? He's, he's all in. He's pushed his chips to the center of the table. And he's essentially saying that this whole thing rises and falls, is connected to, is hinges on Jesus the Christ. And so I guess I would just put that out there this morning. Many of us come here to awaken weekly and have said yes to Jesus. Have said yes in faith. I trust, I believe in this story and what it offers. But I do not assume that that is the case for everyone. 
And so I would posit the question this morning, why? Why not? What holds you back? What's the hurdle you can't get over? Is it like a human being died and was resurrected? Like, listen, metaphysically, there's a lot of problems with that. I mean, I'm talking about Plato. We're talking about da 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 What's the hurdle? What is it? Let's put it out there. Be honest. Everyone worships something. At the, and, and, and by that I mean, everyone centers their life around something that they ultimately sort of metaphorically bow a knee to, right? We, we all center our lives around something. And the question that I'd like to, for us to wrestle with is what is it? And if, and why not this Jesus? I'm going to invite Ben and uh, the crew. They're going to lead us in a few moments. <clears throat> Here's how I'd like this to work. Uh, we, want, we wanted to create a space this morning uh, to sort of bring some things to the surface and trust that the Spirit of God is at work and that there's something going on, that God has something for us. And uh, I'm reminded often that uh, that doesn't always happen where I think it might. And silence, for me, seems counterintuitive, but this always bears fruit. And so we want to create a space for you this morning to just be quiet, to take a few moments and allow you to quiet your heart, quiet your mind, and hear what God might be saying. Um, this may seem abnormal or uh, odd to some of you. I want to just encourage you, uh, if you find your mind wandering, to just bring it back to something that you've heard this morning. If it's a word, just bring it back to that. Uh, but j- to just be in this and not let, not let yourself escape it. Um, so I'm going to offer a word of prayer. Uh, we'll have a time of silence. And Ben is going to come and uh, lead us And in the first song, I I would love for you to just listen um, and let Ben sing it over you, for you, uh, and then um, he'll invite you to to join if you so choose. So let me offer a word of prayer. God, uh, here we are, and here you are. Would you meet us wherever we're at? Whatever questions remain unanswered, whatever hurdle remains untraversable, whatever, whatever it is that we brought here this morning, God, I trust that in these next moments and in this experience that you are working and that you have something for us to hear. Give us the courage to stand in it, to hear it, and to allow you to do what you do. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.